Hi, everybody. I'm Tobias Left from City U.S. Equity Strategy. Really uh, appreciate your time. Unfortunately, we can't do this live. I hope we will be able to do it next time and we'll all be safe and healthy. Um, so I guess keep up everybody's spirits here and let's talk about what's going on in the stock market. Um, we've always started our presentation, for those of you who've been regulars to the Capital Link pro uh, programs, you'll see kind of in our first slide, the bull and the bear, and basically, you know, fighting over a lot of uh, the markets, and then particularly, um, you know, COVID-19 being something of significant uh, focus right now. Um, we said that given the virus and, you know, what's its economic impact, they're certainly making that vision for 2020 a lot blurrier. Um, you know, often I try to start with jokes, but, you know, in this kind of environment, I think we're going to be pretty serious uh, for the entire presentation with one difference, which is um, this whole notion of social distancing um, is, is something, obviously, we all have to practice for good health. But I have to tell you, for me, you guys, it's a flashback to my dating life as people try to stay socially distant from me. But nonetheless, let's kind of focus in on what's going on in markets and how we think about the markets. Clearly, we've seen a very, very significant pullback in the markets in a very short period of time. So from that perspective, um, this has actually been one of the worst pullbacks that we've seen relative to others when we've been worried about recessions, including what was happening back in 2008, 2009 during the global financial crisis. So a 35% decline in about five weeks is pretty remarkable relative to history. Where we now is probably really important, but before I go there, I need to spend just a little bit of time going back to where we were so we can catch up to where we are now. And that constant, at the end of January, early February, we were concerned about the markets. We were seeing vulnerabilities develop. And we'll talk about this a little later. Our panic euphoria model had gone into euphoria territory. That generates a 70% probability of markets being down. And that was very disconcerting. The last time we saw that was in September, September 2018, right before the market fell back sharply in the fourth quarter of 2018. Um, number two, we, we were showing a chart looking at, to a lot of investors, looking at where we are in terms of household equity exposure. So how much stock does the household sector own in terms of equities and mutual funds as a percent of their financial assets? And that was sitting near 50-year highs. And last but not least, um, earnings expectations were starting to roll over. Consensus estimates at the beginning of 2020 these are the analyst bottom-up consensus numbers showing about 9% earnings growth. At the time, we were looking for 4% and said you were vulnerable to those earnings estimate cuts. So the combination, again, of overly aggressive positive sentiment, um, heavy equity exposure already in the household sector, so there wasn't all this new money to come in. And then lastly, earnings estimates were a problem. Those uh, made us cautious. Now, we did not envision, obviously, the pandemic. We did not envision a 35% pullback. We were thinking more in a 10 to 15%, you know, typical correction. And, you know, that was kind of disappointing. Um, so if you look at the current slide, you're going to see how we think about the market in terms of the market dashboard. And that would signal a more positive dynamic. Now, we wrote this about a week ago, and we showed this to investors, and we said sentiment is starting to look more positive. It had been looking negative in terms of excessive enthusiasm. And you can see on that chart, December 2018, right before, right before the rat market started rallying again post-Christmas Eve, um, we were seeing similarly very negative sentiment. I'll go into that in more detail. Valuations, we think, are consistent with markets moving higher. And again, we'll talk about that shortly. 
Credit conditions are okay, but they could be worsening a bit given what's been happening in terms of credit market dislocation. The Fed has been coming in very aggressively trying to stabilize it. And it seems they have been fairly successful with huge numbers of dollars, buying up bonds, trying to improve credit spreads, allowing the bond market to function so that there is financing for corporations and even the commercial paper market is functioning far more properly today than it was even a week or two ago. Um, so we are, you know, the world's not perfect there, but it, you know, it, it, it's better than it could have been otherwise. And earnings expectations, unfortunately, are too high. Interest stock correlation is actually sending us a positive. So if you kind of add up all the positive and negatives, this kind of sends a more positive um, scenario. If you look at the next slide, what you'll see there is our panic euphoria model. Panic euphoria is not measuring how you feel. I always stress this to people. I'm not trying to figure out anybody's emotional state. Uh, I'll leave that to my son, the psychologist. What I will do instead is look at positioning. And there are nine factors in the model, including premiums paid for puts versus calls. How much, how deep in your pocket are you willing to dig to buy protection? So you can see this model's jumped around a lot more significantly recently. A year ago, or more than a year ago, I should say, um, we were in euphoria back in, in September of 2018. We fell back in very short order by December, late December, to panic, now sending a 97% probability of markets being higher. Even in September of last year, September 19, we actually hit panic for a moment, and the market rallied. By January of 2020, we had moved into euphoria, again sending a concerning or disconcerting signal. And what we've done recently is move back into panic. So we are getting a better signal. When we showed this chart and sent it in, we were right at the border of panic. Um, with revisions, we've actually moved into panic territory, and that is a positive. The only caveat that I'm going to put there is that we had an 18% rally since we went into panic in a whopping three days. Um, we haven't seen something like that since the 1930s. So I would argue that even though the normative kind of response or bounce in the market, 17.5% median, 18% average, you had that in three days. So I'd be a little concerned that the market may have priced some of that positive dynamic. Um, I still think it's positive people are worried and scared. We even had a couple of people say to us late last week that they were thinking about buying a weapon to defend themselves and their families as they were worried about personal safety. So you can see that creeping sense of foreboding that usually is associated with our panic euphoria model as well when we hit back. If you look on the next slide, what you will see is different ways of thinking about earnings. So the top left shows you earnings by quarter and the S&P 500 trend. And what was fascinating, the blue line represents the market, the red line represents earnings. Back in late, in late 90s, early 2000, we saw the blue line substantially outpace the red line. In other words, the dot-com bubble phenomenon was really driving stock prices higher. And from that perspective, if you think about it, what you're looking at then is an environment of excess that unfortunately we saw the markets pull back to where the earnings were. By 2012 13, or 11, 12, we saw the periphery debt crisis in Europe. So the red line, the earnings line is rising. The blue line is still holding back as everybody's really worried about, is there a new financial crisis? Will it end as badly as it did in 2008, 2009? And when that didn't happen, when Draghi came out and said for the ECB would do whatever it takes, Markets responded and the blue line cut up to the red line. And now we've had a more jagged development alongside some of the earnings trend. 
If you look at the top right, and this is a critical one, industrial production and earnings, there is enormous con con you know, connection between these two. Here's why. Only 13% of GDP in the United States is tied to industrial production, but about 40% of, of S&P 500 earnings are tied to industrial activity. And this impacts even, you know, kind of transportation sectors. If you're not producing things, you're not moving them as aggressively. So that service is highly tied. Cities economists are now projecting that the second quarter GDP will drop 12% from the first quarter as we get the impact of shutdowns in the service sector as well as production shutdowns. And, you know, the impact of that is we could see as much as a 20% drop in industrial production year over year. And if that's the case, earnings will probably drop 50, 60%, um, as you have to absorb overhead costs that um, unfortunately are, are being hammered in, in, in terms of the earnings side. Um, if you look at the bottom chart, you'll see that earnings revision trends in the blue are the percentage of upward revisions are starting to look much more recessionary. That is in a weird way, a positive development, um, but analyst estimates are still too high, up consensus about 4%. We have cut our numbers pretty significantly. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I want to highlight one thing that is so different in this current downturn than what we've seen in the past. In the past, what we saw was the industrial economy getting hurt. Because of things like social distancing, working from home, uh, the idea of shelter in place, we are not going out and doing our normal activities. 70 to 75% of the U.S. economy is services. And what we're seeing here, that has been our strength, if you like. It's buffered our economy from big swings that you've seen in other countries. And unfortunately, because of these, you know, this idea of staying at home, um, you're not using the normal services. What, has become, what, it, what was once our strength has become our Achilles heel. Nobody's going out to, on the way to work, pick up a, coffee, a cup of coffee. Nobody's going to a doctor unless they're in excruciating pain. Nobody's going to, to, go to the gym or to do yoga. Nobody's going to... Um, hang out at a restaurant. Nobody is going to pick up lunch somewhere. Um, we're all kind of staying home, hopefully, and, and trying to stay healthy and safe. So you're attacking kind of the core 70, 75% of the economy. On top of that, you're now seeing things like auto plants, industrial manufacturers shutting down to prevent people being in close proximity to one another and potentially spreading the virus. So this is crushing to earnings. If you look at our next slide, what you will see is how this impacts certain other industries. So crude oil futures have dropped because of the OPEC agreement failure. And what you've seen there is that earnings for the energy sector will be cut by 50% if history is any guide. Um, now that's not a huge component anymore of earnings for the, uh, you know, for the markets in the sense that only last year, only four and a half percent of S&P 500 earnings came from energy, but nonetheless, um, it's gonna get cut and, and that'll take a loan, five, $6 out of the earnings numbers. If you look at the right-hand side, you'll see another way of showing you what happens when capacity utilization falls, earnings fall as well. And with, again, a 20% or more production cut in the second quarter, this is gonna be pretty devastating. Now, our sense is the third and the fourth quarter will be better, but the speed at which we recover is gonna be kind of questionable. And we can talk about that in a moment or two. If you look at the next slide, you'll kind of get a much better feel for valuation. And we will get to earnings short. But if we look at, for example, on the left-hand side of the page, something we call our normalized earnings yield gap. We use the cyclically adjusted PE ratio to determine the earnings yield. And then we take the forward five-year futures contract for the 10-year treasury yield to determine what markets believe the yield will be on 10-year treasuries five years from now. And we've done this historically. And what you'll see 
is that we are at more than two standard deviations below the historical average going back to the early 70s. So we have almost 50 years of history here. It has only happened in 21 weeks previously that we have been more than two standard deviations below average. In every single one of those 21 weeks, the market was higher 12 months later. So that is encouraging. If you look at the right-hand chart, where we look at the earnings yield gap, again, the PE ratio of the market, not the cyclically adjusted, the regular PE, to get to the earning, invert that to get to the earnings yield. And we use the triple B yield, so investment grade bonds, you're sitting about uh, four standard deviations below average, again, on a five-year rolling average. And if you were to use the 10-year treasury yield, you're over six standard deviations below average. So markets are attractive on a valuation basis and suggest positive outcomes, but markets are not a great, or valuation rather, are not a great timing tool. If you look at the next chart, you'll see why we're a little reticent to look for the next page, we're, we're a little bit uh, reticent to look at the 10-year yield, because if you look at the left-hand chart, it shows you in blue the P-E ratio of the market, and in red, the inverted, um, or rather, 10-year price to yield. In other words, you take the 10-year yield now of, call it 0.8%, and it would be 125 times. So those two lines disconnected over a decade ago. And to just say markets are cheap because the 10-year yield is, is, is low, um, wouldn't have helped you for over 10 years. I'm not sure it's going to help you now. And I think the reason is on the right-hand side. Uh, the P, you can see the 10-year treasury yield, but you can also see what's happened on the other side. As people have become very, very concerned about growth rates, not just in the U.S., but globally, the risk premium has gone up meaningfully. So it's not, if you just can't look at 10-year treasury yields, which is why I was showing you a couple of different charts before that did not capture that. If you go down um, to the next slide, you'll then see another way of thinking, and I'm spending a lot of time valuation because I do think it is important and markets are trading at attractive levels. If you look at the, the PE bullseye, the left-hand chart, you're sitting at the second best place to have bought the market over the last 80 years in terms of trailing earnings. So on a price-to-earnings ratio, trailing earnings, the best place, the center of the bullseye, would have been eight time, under eight times earnings. Where you are now is between 14 and 16 times. That's the second best. Not intuitive. You would have kind of thought about um, if it was eight, under eight times, maybe eight to 10 is a better spot. Actually, that isn't as good as 14 to 16 times. Again, looking at 80 years of history, and this would again suggest kind of team-like returns um, in the subsequent 12 months. If you look at the right-hand chart, the forward PE ratio, um, we are elevated to some degree, um, but back in the recession of 2001, 2002, we were trading at 25 times, even in 2008, 2009, we were trading at 25 times. So uh, markets can trade even in recessions on a forward PE basis at an attractive level. If you were just to, you know, then switch to the next page, we can start talking a little bit more about earnings and, and our targets. So you can see our earnings estimate for 2020 is $125, down 24% from 2019. And in 2021, we're looking at a significant bounce back. Now, remember I said before, in the second quarter, we're going to have this very significant production decline. And as a result of that, um, you're going to have this really crushing blow to earnings. Now, again, things will, or sh they should, I can't say will because I don't know the future, but things should get better in the third and fourth quarter as we, you know, come away and, you know, hopefully stopping the spread and we come away from these very draconian measures um, to prevent more infections. Um, as that occurs, and I think it'll be baby steps, certain industries, uh, I don't think everybody's rushing back to cruise lines. They don't want to get trapped on a boat 
uh, for a month in case there's an outbreak. Um, so things will start coming back. People will start to travel, but at a slower pace, and eventually we'll get through this. And next year, you have an easy comp. So we get a better than normal post-recession bounce to earnings. Typically, earnings grow 10 to 15% um, when, there's a when there's a recession coming out of it in the following year. We think this one's going to be better because the second quarter comparison in 2021 will be very, very easy. Um, if you put an 18 multiple on that 2021 number, you get to 2,700 by year end this year. Could it get to 20? Certainly it could. We just think people are going to be a little bit reticent because we have certain concerns later this year. Three particular. One, the elections. We don't really know who's going to win. We have a polarized country. Um, the president is getting 60% approval ratings from Gallup um, on how he's handling the virus. Um, and you know, from that perspective, this is still going to be a tight race. Companies may not be willing to invest significantly until they have a better sense of that. Number two, credit conditions are still unsettled, and that tends to lead economic activity by nine months. Again, suggests maybe we don't rebound as fiercely. And number three, we don't really know if weather will cause a second wave. In other words, if we start to see cooler temperatures September, October, if there's unfortunately a renewed uh, spread of COVID-19. Um, so I think all that will probably limit how quickly we can rebound and how rapidly we don't see a big V-shape that is being discussed. We think it'll be a little bit more tepid initially, and then we kind of get back to whatever normal really is in 2021. Now, if you kind of move to the next slide, what you will see is another thing that provides some downside protection, which is if you looked at the amount of cash held by corporations, about $5 trillion, and household deposits, which is about $17 trillion, excuse me, about $12 trillion, the combination of $7 trillion is almost 100% of the value of the S&P 500 market cap, given this 30-plus percent correction. Now, it got higher than that back in 2008, 2009, where people were really concerned about a depression, financial crisis globally. Um, if you look back in 2002, we got to about 100%. And so we do think it's a bit of a buffer here. And again, with all of the fiscal and monetary stimulus, um, you're also creating other buffers to prevent really calamitous economic activity, you know, outcomes. I'm not suggesting there isn't some issues out there, and there are certainly lots of people who are going to be hurt by this thing, um, and by this virus economic, both physically and then economically. Um, there are some buffers here, and certainly the, the stimulus package, irrespective of you think it was the right one or the wrong one, will provide funds to people who desperately will need them. If you go to the next slide, what you'll see now is some changes, and I call them big changes, are coming. Buyback activity is going to be coming down. Dividends are going to be coming down. Capital spending is going to be coming down as companies conserve cash and being deeply concerned about their uh, ability to weather this storm. We think dividends could come back, come down 20 30%. We think capital spending could come down 50%. I'm sorry, uh, buybacks down 50%, capital spending could be down 20%. I mean, these are big numbers um, as companies are, again, very aggressively trying to make sure they have the cash to get through this uh, difficult period. If you switch the page now and look at the next set of data, what you'll see here is the energy sector is having this major shock. I mentioned before what the impact was on earnings, but energy, fortunately, as a percent of GDP, is not that significant, um, you know, over 1%, but, but nothing, it's not 10% or anything like that in terms of um, what's happening in that industry. It will hurt, and it will hurt the capital spending. And what you'll see is the energy sector stock prices have matched up pretty well with what's going on in, in, um, the, in WTI prices as they've kind of fallen 
in tandem with it. But the reach of energy is somewhat larger. If you look at the next slide, you'll see that in a couple of other industries like capital goods and, um, and machinery, where there again is a tight relationship with oil prices because these are companies that make a lot of money selling equipment into the energy sector. So again, energy is not just energy sector specific, it tends to bleed over to some other ones. If you go to the next slide, what you're gonna see as well is what's happening to earnings trends. Earnings trends are coming off. Earnings revisions for transportation, which includes shipping, includes trucking, railroads, have come up sharply and kind of looking already recessionary, which is kind of intriguing for the group. Retailing, again, revision trends falling over, the acceleration, if you like, of the dying bricks and mortar industry relative to online purchases and home delivery is being accelerated, excuse me, accelerated by the COVID-19 outbreak. Autos, again, if you look at the bottom left, revisions plunging alongside stock price, that is kind of normal. Um, and energy, again, showing this really, really um, painful decline as oil prices move down to $20 or so. So this is kind of where we are. Um, if you flip to the one last page here, I believe, um, it will show you some of our sector industry recommendations. You can look at that on your own. Um, so I would come back to kind of looking at me, which maybe you probably prefer looking at the slides. Um, and just note that there are a couple of things that we think are really critical to understand here. Um, we will come out of this. There will be better earnings. The markets will probably do a bit better. Um, but you've got to, I wouldn't say pick your spots as perfectly as, as we think everybody has to, because it never works quite that way. But we would suggest to you the following, that um, the market range that we've been thinking about was 2,100 on the low end, 2,700 on the higher end, and we had a huge rally this past week um, that captured a big chunk of that. And we think markets will probably churn. I can't tell you necessarily we will retest the low, but it is pl very plausible. There's a lot of bad news coming in terms of job losses, earnings, companies shutting down. Uh, and I don't mean shutting down their factories, but potentially going out of business. So I think markets are going to have to kind of receive that. Estimates on the street will have to come down. As I said, we're looking down 24%. Current consensus estimates are still up 4% from the analysts, and they're waiting for managements to tell them that, you know, how bad the earnings are going to be, and they're going to cut that. So there may be some surprises along the way in a number of industries where people may not be anticipating some of that bad news. Again, we're far from the end of the world here. Um, it, it will get better at some time, but time is the key issue. Um, and again, we hope everybody stays safe and healthy. Take care. Have a great conference.